Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are here with a special bonus episode for you. It's about, uh, who else? Princess Diana. Oh, I haven't heard of her, actually. Um, we're going to go back to our watch-along of season six of The Crown when part two drops on Netflix on December 14th. But for this episode, we're going to talk all things Princess Di. So we were saying in uh, a couple episodes ago that uh, we're kind of sad about Diana being off the show. I mean, it was we knew this was coming, um, but she's not off our show. <laughs> we still want to talk more about Diana because obviously is the most enduring like icon of this whole series. I would argue. Uh, of the royal family, like in yeah. the 20th century, even. Yeah. 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 And like arguably more so than Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I would right. say without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that we've talked a lot about, um, because that's what the show has been about, about her like legacy within the family and, um, you know, that sort of aspect of her celebrity, if you want to call it that. But we haven't gotten a ton into the sort of pop iconography of her. I was actually just doing a New York Times crossword where the clue was like, Princess Diana and Prince were these, and it was like style icon was the answer. So, like, I feel like we haven't done a ton of like deep dive into her fashion and sort of the way that she's been portrayed in other media outside the crown, of which there is, you know, we've we've mentioned, um, of course, uh, the Naomi Watts (laughs) movie, but but even more recently, yeah, there's been uh, like not just the crown, but also. the Kristen Stewart movie Spencer and Diana the, Diana musical, the musical, the, the ill-fated Diana the musical. Um, so <laughs> too good yeah. for this world. I would say. Just in the past few years, yeah, a little there bit was... of a Diana Renaissance. Yeah, she right. seems to be like a very much having a cultural moment for whatever reason in the last couple of years. Um, that I feel like it's our duty to ex- 
explore that moment. So yeah, there's still a lot more to discuss. Um, I hope that you're not sick of Diana because we're not. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could never be. This is a bonus episode, which is just an excuse mostly to talk about fashion and the Diana musical. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which I think, you know, look, there have been worse bonus episodes. I think if you're listening, you're in. Yeah. Click out now if you don't like yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like hearing about Diana Spencer. Um, <laughs> but I think especially when it comes to the fashion stuff, the three of us, while very well-dressed people, <laughs> aren't quite experts exactly. But luckily we work at Vanity Fair and there are experts. Uh, and to that end, we have Vanity Fair's women's wear market editor, Kia Goosby. Kia, hello. Hi. Hello. Thank you Hi, for Kia. having me. So I think it's safe to assume you're a Crown fan. I am indeed a Crown fan. I've been a loyal follower since season one. What strikes you most about it? I mean, it, how, like, you know, let's just even just start from a fashion perspective. How accurate is the show? I think the show is extremely accurate. And I think the crown, the costume team that works on the show does a, a really amazing job with reinterpreting the outfits just from the queen to Diana, you know, to the whole family. Um, I think it's it's impeccably done. And so... With that in mind, like the the show, you know, kind of gets into Diana's status as this like pop culture, like folk hero almost um, in real life. Why exactly was she such a huge icon? Um, I mean, I and it's connected a lot to what she wore. But why was what she wore? I don't know. Like how how did she nail style so well? You know, the thing about it is, is that I've been thinking about Diana as just kind of like a, a cultural person. You know, she's someone that was so personable. And her approach to fashion was not done in an unattainable way. And I think I think that's why she's connected with people from generations after generation. You know, her style has influenced us all. The quiet luxury trend that we've seen in the past couple of years is just resurfaced because she wasn't super flashy where, you know, in the 80s and 90s, the logos were having a moment. And, you know, you were seeing brands, fashion brands kind of displayed across chest and lapels and labels and whatnot. And she wore the clothes. They did not wear her. And I think mm. that's the thing that people want to kind of like embody when they put clothes on. They don't want to just be a walking billboard, you know? And I think Diana just really embodied that. Um, do you think The Crown has done a thorough enough job of, of, of showing that aspect of her, you know, iconography? Like, did, were you craving more fashion from either the Corin era or the Debicki era? You know, I do think because looking back at like season five to season six, the minimal four episodes that we got closing <laughs> out the Debicki era for Diana, I think we could have always had more, you know, but I think it's hard to cram. And I know yeah. you guys will talk about, you know, the the movies that have been dedicated to Diana, but it would have been nice to kind of see more kind of just kind of like going into the mindset of of just her fashion celebrated. But, you know, it doesn't stop at the show. You know, we could see a retrospect like they've done for Chanel brands mm -hmm. where you can see a, a moving in-person exhibition of Diana style. I think it's definitely easy and worth recreating because... If you Google image Princess Diana street style, you know, the images are endless. And, you know, when you go back and look at the looks that they chose to recreate in the show, you're like, 
but there's so many more, you know, like mm-hmm. we don't even get into kind of like the way she approached evening wear, hats and like scarves and and then you can talk about, you know, just kind of like that classic minimal style, just like jeans where she's like, you know, I'm not really affiliated with the royal family, so I'm going to wear pants. You know, they didn't really <laughs> wear pants How like shocking. that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't yeah. yeah. And so just for her to see like jeans and just kind of like slacks in that kind of way, it shows like a modern woman. She doesn't always have to be in a dress. But then when she puts on a dress, she's fabulous. And and then when she's on a yacht, she's she's not in like a simple black swimsuit. She's wearing your leopard print. She just was daring like that. Something that I love about Princess Diana's style is that it feels like she really could do anything. I mean, she made streetwear iconic with just the big sweater and then the tiny, you know, short shorts. And then like to the revenge dress, right, to the nines, but down to streetwear. Do you have a favorite Diana look? And what do you think about her versatility as a dresser? Well, I think you just, I mean, I think it gets no better than the revenge dress. I think that's <laughs> probably one of the most, you know, iconic moments in time. And am I correct? She was going to a Vanity Fair party in London. Is that that like, I think is true. We should double check that. But yeah, I, I was hosting it. Uh, yeah. I'm very, I'm very old. <laughs> but I do think that is true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how it can it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, the dress it was designed by Christina Stambolian, and you know she was working with a stylist who was an a UK editor, Anna Harvey. Um, and I mean, even though she was working with a stylist, I still think Diana was very self styled, and it was a time when. Even though today your average celebrity has a stylist as someone is influencing the decisions that they make, it's really all about the person wearing the clothes. And Diana, when that dress was designed, it was designed years prior to her actually putting it on. And then she wears it for this party. And it, it was, in fact, a Vanity Fair party. Uh, I just double checked. Amazing. You, I love that. And so Look she at us. puts it on, and you know, it's <laughs> off the shoulder, it's black, it's your. LBD little black dress. You know, everyone has that in their closet. <laughs> it's something very simple, but it shows off her body in a way that's like still classy, but sexy at the same time. And, you know, I think for someone that obviously a part of the royal family, it's a little bit taboo at that time. But I mean, as you fast forward to fashion today and, you know, we all saw the images from the the Renaissance uh, movie premiere and you're like, <laughs> Yes, we that did. could easily fit well into that event or your Vanity Fair party of 2024. Anyone could easily wear that dress. It's a dress that has aged impeccably well. I think from when we saw it in 1994 to 2023, which the dress will be celebrating an anniversary next year, ironically. Um, <laughs> it's a dress that just just gets better like fine wine. It just, it really just ages with time. And I think going back to your point about, you know, her high to her low, you know, I think she did, she was the innovator of like early street style, you know, Mm. you don't, we don't give her enough credit for that. Um, But Diana put clothes on just based on probably her mood and how she was feeling. And, you know, for someone that could just throw on a Harvard sweatshirt, I, I would love to be able to ask her, like, where does she get that Harvard <laughs> sweatshirt from? And putting it on with bike shorts and just sneakers. And, you know, she was on the go and she was chic, but just so cool at the same time. And I think it gets no better than that. 
it, there was something kind of defiant about it, you know, you see on the show and, and also in real life, obviously, like uh, a lot of the other royal women are w- kind of pulling from the same closet, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the queen's like always dressed yeah. for Easter. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's a matter of the occasion. You know, and I think nowadays when we have, you know, Duchess Kate and uh, Meghan Markle for a time, like they were, they were in public appearances were much more sort of formal. But do you see Diana's influence anywhere in that? Or or where, where do you think that the Diana's style influence is most visible today? I mean, I definitely feel like Meghan and Kate definitely probably borrow off of their mother-in-law, if you will. I think they definitely are have to be inspired by her. I mean, how can you not be inspired by her? But on the runways, you see it from brands like, you know, The Road to Gucci. You know, I think brands are still utilizing Diana on their mood boards because I think her style touches back to a point in time where your clothes were kind of utilized to speak a message. And I think whether it was her use of, you know, monochromatic looks with like the bold reds or her soft butter yellows, you know, she was very thoughtful in her her selection of clothing. And her clothes served as sort of some sort of a brightening up her day or the people's day that she was going to visit children at hospitals or, you know, think her clothes just kind of like served, you know, as was an understatement, but a statement, you know, Mm -hmm. if if for lack of better words. They projected a mood, you know, Mm -hmm. and whether that mood was somber or it was, you know, kind of kicky revenge or whether it was casual. Like, like I think that that was not the, I think one of the fascinating things about Diana, at least as depicted on The Crown, for example, is that she had a way of communicating to the people that they're mm-hmm. so obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And the royals were like, no, there are three channels to do this, <laughs> and one, this is not one of them. And mm-hmm. she kind of kept defying that. And and also, you know, we have all this Diana nostalgia, you know, probably spurred on by the crown. Um, but also because I think, I mean, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Kia, but like, that era of 90s fashion is, like, so in vogue right now. Right, like all, all, all the young people I see, I'm like, you look like kids I went to summer camp with. In 90s totally. And totally. Yeah. The biggest pants you've ever seen in your the entire tiny life. Tiny little crop top and a big pant. <laughs> they all look like they're in TLC, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> I mean, we can go down on a deep dive on another episode of Still Watching. Hopefully we'll revisit that. But, yeah, you know, I think nostalgia is back and it's not going anywhere. And I think that speaks to the innovator that Diana was because she didn't think about the longevity when she was putting those outfits together where it was just like a crisp white blouse and jeans or just your Canadian tuxedo with denim on denim. You know, she wasn't thinking about like, oh, this is going to be something that the kids are going to be looking at 30 years from now, but but we are. And we're not ashamed to say that we we are, you know. Um, I think it's interesting because, like, brands like, you know, Banana Republic, your most attainable of them all, Theory, you know, J. Crew. You know, we even saw, like, on when, when Emma Corrin was playing, you know, she was the first iteration of Diana. And, you know, they brought back the sheep sweater and... And that was so iconic for that time. And, you know, rowing blazers reissued that. And you could still try to do a Google search and try to find that sweater if you want, you know. Um, I so wore many... that sweater to Thanksgiving. And, uh, and, and that's a I'm perfect sure holiday sweater. 
<laughs> it I is. Mean, it's great. You know, and so there you are, Hillary. You were inspired by Diana <laughs> and you're not letting go of her style. And I don't think anyone is letting go of her style. And mm. the thoughtfulness that she chose in the clothes that she wears is seen and felt through the crown and through the pictures, you know, if we just go back and look at her style. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. When we return, we are going to try to stop Chris from singing Diana the Musical in its entirety. A pretty, pretty girl. <laughs> had to, had to. It's my favorite line. <laughs> I hope you include that entire thing. <laughs> I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we've entered into the musical part of the episode. You may remember this uh, little Broadway show from lockdown. From start, how can I seem to be the last to know? And no, you're not hallucinating. Netflix filmed Broadway's Diana the Musical, and it's been streaming since 2021. Right by side, serves me right for marrying a Scorpio. All right, so we've mentioned it already several times. Let's just get into it. Um, Diane? I, I kind of want to start, actually, yeah. Richard. Sorry, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I no, want to just quote your review. Oh, oh I wow. love to be quoted of back Diana to Diana the Musical. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's see if you still stand by um, this. <laughs> you call it a shellacked lump of product born solely of cold, money-minded cynicism. Wow. End Shots quote. fired. Shots fired. <laughs> I mean, I watch. I rewatched some of it for this. Not the whole thing, I'll confess. Um, I still believe that. I mean, <laughs> I think that Diane and the Musical is such a weird thing because it was meant to be in 2020 on Broadway, but it was at like at La Jolla in San Diego the year previous, 2019. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to open in March of 2020. Yeah. But, so and it is by all means then. a modern musical of our sort of current contemporary musical era. And yet it feels like it could have come out on the West End. 1984. In like, it like, it's <laughs> Before like, she even existed. It's like so Cameron McIntosh. It's so Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's so mega but musical. Like not, even that good, like not even as good as the worst Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber. Um, it's it's just it's a shocking piece of work. Yeah, it pulls know? directly from the tradition of the 1980s mega musicals that are Miss Saigon, Phantom of the Opera, which uh, Diana herself was a, a big fan of, a vocal fan, a vocal of. fan of. So but- <laughs> you could call you could call it intentional. You could call it. Yeah, like a, a sort of tribute to her in that way, but I don't know if the musical is, like, sophisticated enough to have made that connection. <laughs> I, I think the musical is not sophisticated enough on many <laughs> levels in many ways, but after watching it, and you, I did— You don't like A-A-B-B rhyme scheme? Um, I, <laughs> the rhymes are just— I am no longer nursery, but I do appreciate them. <laughs> um, I found re-watching it, because I went to see it on Broadway with my friend Larry, right at the peak of its sort of Rocky Horror Picture Show mm-hmm. level, like, call and response with the audience. So every, you had seen it on Netflix. I had, I had seen it on Broadway. But did you see it on Netflix I, before you saw it on Broadway? No, I just went okay. to see it on Broadway. the Netflix release came before Broadway reopened. Before Broadway reopened. Okay, so I had not seen it before wow. going. Yeah, I just went also, in. So yeah, what's that experience like? It was so funny. It's one of those things where, and I say this with love, I think Diana the Musical is 
why people hate musicals unless you love musicals. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you are prone to hate musicals, you, you see Diana the Musical, you said there, you're like, this is one of the worst pieces of art I've ever sort of experienced. And as a musical lover, it sort of then sort of wraps all the way back around to a little thing that we like to call camp that we overuse mm-hmm. too much. But I do think Diana the Musical earns, uh, that. earns that, unintentionally earns that distinction. Well, camp has to be unintentional. It has to be unintentional. That's part right. of the you know, Susan Sontag. Because I think watching it, you know, the actors are talented. Gina DeWall is like... So can, good. Great know, voice. Bring yeah. the house down. Um, I just was like, oh, God, I hope they know that this is dumb and they're just having fun with it being dumb. Like, who's taking this seriously? Like, I'm sure the people who wrote it, Joe DiPietro and uh, the guy from Bon Jovi, whose name is, is escaping me now, mm. um, they seem to take it seriously, but, like, I don't well, know. The, the problem is that the musical itself doesn't know. It Like, it, it right. goes back and forth. There's the James Hewitt scene, Ugh. which is, like, full-on... hilarity. Yeah. If your prince leaves you wanting more And royal life is a royal ball Why not score a man of war? Here comes, here comes James Hewitt. Just like intentional, yeah, yeah, intentional intentional kitsch, kitsch, yeah, um, which seems like kind of the tone that they should have aimed for. Maybe if they wanted to be more coherent, but then. You whiplash between that and, like, you know, then the, the queen, like, singing a sad song about, like, duty. Now she sometimes reflects on her unusual life and that unusual year she was an officer. And it's like, we're trying to do this now at the end of the show. We Mm -hmm. just spent two hours of, like, I don't know, third grade level, like, poetry and just just whiplashing through every event of, like, the past 15 years. And then you're trying to stop the show with, like, a serious ballad and trying to add depth to this character. It just doesn't make any sense. You would think they would pull more from... Because we love a musical about, like, a tragic woman. We love an Evita. We love... A musical... Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, and you think it would pull more from those traditions and sort of give Diana a little bit of an edge. I'm sort of shocked by how often, like, sort of the only... How toothless it is. How yeah. toothless, but the only perspective they have on Diana is, well, I'm not that bright, but I look nice. Right. Well, well, what's weird is that her opening song is about being underestimated, so it, like, sets her up as this, like, canny, like, behind-the-scenes, like kind of schemer type, but then the show itself doesn't, doesn't deliver on that. bear that out at all. What I find maybe most galling about the show in some ways is it purports to be a peek behind the curtain of the palace, and here's the real story right, of Diana that you haven't you've heard. never heard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
okay, older straight men, gay guys and girls know all about this shit. <laughs> we know and everything. Like, like you, are, you are not telling we us can anything We every beat. Like, like without... yeah. come on. It's just like, hey, it's. have you guys heard of this drag race show? Like, it's just so, <laughs> not that Diana is like the same thing as that, but like, it just, it, it's so presumptuous about yeah. what people don't know from one of the most covered people of the last 30 plus yes. years. It's a, it's a bizarre position to take that there is anything here that is new information yeah i i will say having going live and once everybody was on the same page as to what the show was and that it is kind of a mess it is kind of campy a little bit of a rocky horror picture show call and response was happening with like every time camilla came out people would hiss yeah it was like how did like the how did the actors feel about so i think initially they were like Okay, you're making fun of our art, but then right. once everybody was laughing together, I know Ro Hartram who plays Princess or Prince Charles, and they loved it because one, it kept the show running for longer than you would have expected yeah. because people kept coming. And there's Diana's, that's sort of the name of Diana super naturally. fans, naturally, of course. Um, and it became sort of a communal thing where it's like the reviews were out; they knew they weren't going to win any Tonys. Like everyone had said what there was to say about the play, and then to find this sort of new second life for it in terms of all right, it might. Might not be a high art, but we are aware we're dealing in sort of lowbrow culture in communion with the audience. It was one of the most electric times I've ever had in the theater. It was that is so interesting. Fascinating. It was so much fun. It's not unlike a public reading of like a National Enquirer article about Diana. Like yeah. like it's tawdry and it's dumb and it's probably mostly fake. But like whatever, we all agree to that together. Yes, we're all know? on the same page. And as long as the actors aren't offended, I guess, because yeah. they have to get up there. They have to get right. up in front of all these people who are laughing at them. But the thing is, it's everyone is so invested mm-hmm. in the the not the joke of it all. But people do genuinely love Diana, and there are some people who genuinely think it's a good musical. And we'll, well, some of those Diana's. Uh, <laughs> We can. Um, we Someday can... you'll be a queen, the loveliest queen we've ever seen. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, better I'm... than a Guinness, better than the wank. A snap is worth money in the oh, bank. Yeah, the wank one is good. That's a great um, line. Ob- for me. Obviously, the infamous uh, AIDS patient singing, I may be unwell, but I'm handsome as hell. Yep. Diana singing, that's what I get for marrying a Scorpio. Yes. Which is at least I... seems on purpose to be a fun a silly, joke. Yeah. Yeah, I like think a so. silly on yeah. purpose. But like Charles holding. Baby William saying, darling, I'm holding my son. So let me say, jolly well done. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I feel well like it took done. them 10 minutes. 10, ten minutes. With, with like an online rhyming dictionary. Yeah, with rhymezone.com <laughs> yeah. open okay, the other day. Yeah. It takes more than 10 minutes to write Thrilla in Manila with Diana and Camilla. And right? that's one of those instances where you're like, okay, so they know that this is silly. Fun. They right? know they're having yeah. fun. They're yeah. having fun. Right. And once, yeah, once the audience and the performers were all on the same page, it was Really, really fun, mm-hmm. and yeah. not and fun is not necessarily good, but you can have a jolly good time. <laughs> and and one of the great and I understand scheduling wise and pandemic wise why this had to happen, but like it, it brings to mind you know some of the live um, musicals that the networks have done in recent years, like. Good oh, God, no, why no was audience. why is there no audience at Diana? That was yeah. so it's excruciating. So crazy. They it's finish excruciating. these songs and Gene DeWall has like just like <laughs> belted something out and it's just stony silence and they just move on to the next thing. Well, Clear also, lines. You have, yeah, you have no idea what's supposed to, what's a joke yeah. and what's not because yeah. there's no audience there and so they just kind of skirt like it, they just kind of have to keep going forward and it just seems it's just brutal. It's brutal. And then what was really brutal and what really takes you to like galaxy brain is the very end where you're like, okay, they're probably just gonna end with the 
divorce, but you know they're going to have to sort of mention mm-hmm. the car crash and her death, and we yeah. don't see anything, and it's sort of in the second half of the last song. They're just if they like, were really going to do Miss Saigon, they would have crashed a car. They would have had a stage. big car. They would have had a big, massive, <laughs> mega musical-ass car, but they didn't do that, thank God. But the end of it was so weird because you're in the middle, like she's singing her triumphant, like, I'm going to be the best after I divorce the king and then boom headlines she dies and then she sort of just like walks into headlights and then everybody else says and the last line of the show is the people people who who will change the world are not the ones you think will change the world correct you're just like what (laughs) What? happened like what what? does that even mean what does that mean where did she go like okay she died what it was just it's so i'm surprised it didn't have a chandelier falling her head (laughs) well you you may not recall this because it's a very clever callback but it's a callback to the end of act one when they say the stories girls are taught to believe are not the stories <laughs> that girls should believe. Again, the what? lyricism here. All right. <laughs> I mean, lyric- they didn't even try a rhyme there. I guess so that's do better. do stop believing? <laughs> <laughs> God, we, we do have to talk about, speaking of the end of Act 1, how, and again, in terms of just construction of a story or of a play, I get one big number about, like, all the dresses and, mm-hmm. like, yes, mm-hmm. montage. And mm-hmm. I will say, they really did gag the girls with the quick changes. They really, oh, they're great. They're William, great. William Ivy Long, we gotta give William him a Ivy shout Long, out. Yeah, he, yeah. Incredible costumes. He did some great costumes for it. The way that guy. she, yeah, the way that she is changing outfits behind a crowd, like, seamlessly, that is genuinely impressive. Genuinely impressive. And then we get to act two, and then we get the feckity, 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 feck you dress again. Uh, mm-hmm. And we sort of do the same story where it's like, I can't fight him with my mind, so I'm going to fight him with my <laughs> my body of outfits. When a girl needs to express a proper state of distress, revenge looks best in an F-U dress. Fuck you dress! The endless, like, pause for where applause would be when, like, the actor who's playing the bodyguards first says, like, fuck you dress, like, knowing that if there were an audience there, this is where they're supposed to be screaming, but there's nobody there, so he's just standing, like, breathing. Such a bizarre experiment of a Netflix. Like, they just should have waited. I mean, it's just so funny that they pushed this out. Like, obviously, it was supposed to be 2020. It was supposed to coincide with a season of The Crown, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, Then, accidentally, we'll talk about Spencer after this, but, like, that was coming out the same, also in 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just, I mean, I think I wrote in that in that piece, Hillary, that you quoted, like, I know, I know this is rich coming from a Vanity Fair, but, yes. like, maybe we should be done with this. <laughs> like, like this could be the let tipping her, point. Let yeah. her enough. be dead. Yeah, enough please, is for enough. the love of God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was also just blown away by how, and maybe there's a way to do a musical about one person. I mean, we really just got Here Lies Love, which has just came to Broadway, sure. which is about Amelda Marcos and mm-hmm. sort of or the life and times, and that's sort of problematic for many reasons involving the Marcoses. But they killed people, is that what you're yeah, talking about? I, yeah, yeah, just yeah. a few, just a, yeah. just a couple. There has to be a way to write a musical that isn't just entirely exposition. That mm-hmm. this was just it felt so yeah. exterior and so like, here's a Wikipedia page thing, here's this. And we hit all the major moments, sort of or many of the major moments in her life. And you know, we we casually reference her bulimia and we casually re- and we have a postpartum depression song and yeah. and whatnot. But it all felt like Exposition in a way that I would say Avita doesn't feel that way because the main Avita has a very strong driving force of a goal to mm. conquer the world. I guess it's helpful that there's a narrator. Yes, maybe, and maybe that would make it feel less like exposition. I was like, I cannot believe you'd be what- able to have people having a conversation and not just like 
describing their intentions. Yes. <laughs> like, what happened when she went to Wales and um, shook people's hands? It's funny, though, having just watched this season of The Crown and then watching this and seeing how many of the same details get pulled into so many of the same, like, Diana. Like, she mentions, like, her face was on the tea towel so she can't, like, yep. pull out of the wedding. Like, that's a line that Elizabeth Debicki also says when she's talking to Dodie on the yacht. Like, mm. there's a point at which maybe you've consumed too much Diana media and you notice that the <laughs> like, same thing, the same Oh, beats. the tea towels thing again. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you guys are saying you want Sarah Ferguson in an armchair reading an old storybook, like, in the corner of the stage. Why didn't Barbara... Let me Cor- tell you about my sister-in-law. Like, <laughs> I want her as Barbara Cartland. <laughs> yes. Narrating, oh, there you go. Yeah. narrating the whole yeah. entire thing. Yeah. Give it the romance novel treatment. Jazzy chaperone style. Yes. Man in chair down <laughs> it right. all, And it all comes to life in her living room. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. this is Buckingham a, Palace. such yeah. a more interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> we should literally write this musical. Uh, New World Stage is called They Want Our Show. <laughs> <laughs> right next to the bubble show. (laughs) Still watching from Vanity Fair, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, more on our Diana retrospective as we talk about Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. I've been imagining how they'll write about me in a thousand years. I feel royal. The more time that passes, the fewer words they use to describe you. William the Conqueror. Elizabeth the Virgin. Diana. Insane. Should we switch then to Spencer because that is a decidedly different approach? And I think it's one actually that, Chris, you were kind of getting at. Like, how do you do this when it's just all exposition? Mm -hmm. And Pablo Durain... And Krista Stewart were like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, how about no exposition? Yes. Which <laughs> is so refreshing. I, it was fr- yeah. so great. I was like, oh, finally, with all these different pieces of Diana Media, we get something about her interiority. Yeah. Something from her perspective that makes us, while not historically accurate, makes us feel the way that she felt. She didn't really see the ghost of Anne Boleyn? I, but I do not. Think that's she real. <laughs> that's real. And she that's ate- also in... <laughs> The, the, the musical, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, six, there were ghosts on the crown. Yeah. Okay. When Six and Diana sort of that mashup, that happens. Uh-huh. It's actually not a bad idea. Um, but, you know, her eating the pearls, you know, and the soup mm-hmm. and choking down at mm-hmm. the fancy dinner and trying to keep it. That, like, really, oh, it's like you can feel the the pain and the angst and the the eyes on her and, and the, the wealth, the stifling of the family mm-hmm. and how it affects her physically, where I know a lot of people complain about it, but I remember watching it in theaters and I was like, this is fascinating. And Pablo Lorraine, it's not for everybody, but he is for me and he knows how to portray a glamorous woman in distress. Well, yeah. I felt like Jackie yeah. was, yeah, Jackie was maybe too experimental mm. for me, but That's this fair. but this is like, you know, it's it's a linear story and it's told in a less of like a narrative driven way and more of a more of a mood. Um, but yeah, it was really effective for me too and Kristen Stewart's so good. Yeah. So yeah, good. she is good. I mean, I rewatched it for this and I was a little bit less impressed by her performance, but that's only because I'd already seen it, I think. Yeah. And this, well, and this, also because the, Elizabeth Debicki, like, is a tough act to follow also. And well, I think there's also, you know, the meta angle of uh, 
Kristen Stewart doing that. You mm-hmm. know, Kristen Stewart, who has been through her own, I mean, nothing to the extent of Diana, but like but a like pretty for the 20th century, 21st century <laughs> that started when she was a teenager yeah. and, you know, involved romantic scandal and whatnot. So you're kind of watching Kristen Stewart do it, whereas with DeBicki, it's you're just watching, right. it, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that Spencer is is successful. Obviously, like you said, Chris, it's not for everybody. Um, My but, mom, for example, yeah. hated it. But in zeroing in on this pivotal moment, her decision to leave. So there is, you know, there is a narrative to it. There is exposition to it, but it's just, it's it's narrow in its focus, big in its psychological scope, but plot-wise, doesn't have to tell us about the tea towels and about this and about that and about that. It's just doesn't like, no. Doesn't really have to say, like, ah, yes, Charles, like, who is, the, prin- who is right. the Prince of Wales? <laughs> right. And, yeah. like, I right. would marry you. Like, Diana married him when she was 19. Like, all of that is We don't just, need that like, context. Yeah. We, we are walking, anyone who's going to see Spencer is walking in with that context, and I think, I like that the movie trusts that in a way the musical certainly does not trust any knowledge that no one's even familiar with the website Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> or is familiar with, like, the notion that there's a country named England. <laughs> right, right, basically. They're, like, pointed to a map. So this <laughs> island here. Um, but I think that what the, the, the movie could in some ways be about anyone leaving an oppressive marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is specifically about Diana and her legacy and her lore, but I, I think that they leave it kind of broad enough as a mood piece to be like, this is what it feels like to make the decision to get out of something bad, mm-hmm. which I think is is good to kind of make it further, like make Diana's story more applicable or relatable, I guess, to other people. Yeah, well, without also sacrificing any of the aesthetic right. fashion no. yeah. or, you know, the castles and mm-hmm. all the things that we so associate with Diana and the royal family. So it gives that little, it, it broadens the scope and makes it more universal while still giving that zhuzh of, of you know, royal uh, royal class and, and high And it gives aesthetics. it like a, like a cool like genre edge too, where, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a haunted house movie in yeah. a lot of ways. And that is a version of this story that is not told over yeah. and over again. Well, and I think that's a good, uh, segue to like talk about like these different depictions of Diana. We have Diana the musical, which is where she's kind of like a naive, lovesick, you know, person. She's frequently just kind know, of standing there, standing yeah. there singing. commenting on events that are yeah. happening around her. But Spencer is making her a sort of cool but miserable person mm-hmm. who is maybe cracked in the head a little bit, you know. And and by all accounts, Diana did have a lot of psychological problems and you know whatnot. The Crown is showing her as pretty nice together, still sort of in love with De- with with Charles. What version do we kind of believe the most? I mean, I'm assuming Diana Musical for all three of us, right? <laughs> Obviously. Well, I guess there's also Naomi Watts' version. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, I think for me, I'll say, like, I find for all of its artful strangeness, I think that the, the Spencer version is the one that I buy mm. the most, I guess. As a depiction. So, I would say the crown isn't really super concerned with Diana's interiority or Diana's experience. It's more about Diana and her effect on the crown and the family and the crown's effect on Diana, but she's a cog in a greater machine. Uh So I also agree with you that the only one that really gives us sort of an insight or a picture into what the day-to-day life of Diana might have been or what might have been going on internally, which I think at this point, now that we're, you know, 30 years out of the, from the accident or about that long, and we know the story, we know the beats, we know the story, we have a Wikipedia page, I'm more interested in that exploration Mm. than 
Diana, you know, sort of standing around, belting all the events of her life, which mm. I love that, you know, but that's not as uh, compelling. <laughs> or the Crown's version, which is, how did Diana affect the Crown and the Crown? Well, in I would, I would push back on that a little bit, though, because I think that the Crown does show several sides of her, which it can because she's on it for three seasons. Like, there's mm. just a lot more time to explore the various facets of her to show her, like, manipulating the press and, like, letting them manipulate her, like, to show how, at least at the beginning, she did, you know, actively pursue a place in the royal family and, like, knew how to— like, that she wasn't just a victim, that Mm -hmm. she had agency and that she had aims and goals and was not just kind of, like, swept up in this fairy tale, which is, I guess, the Diana, the musical version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I, I think that The Crown does show us that there are several ways to look at her and that there are ways in which, like, yeah, she made her own fate and was also a victim of it. But Mm. yeah, I I think also the thing that the thing that I think draws me more to the the Pablo Lorraine version over the the crown version is that, like, Peter Morgan is never going to allow for a depiction of Diana to reveal the haunted house ghouls that sure. she was surrounded mm. by. Yes, that you know? is definitely... Yeah. Like, it, the and crown that, is not going to be as critical. I mean, because Spencer, the movie, is like, no, these people are all, like, terrifying freaks. And she yeah. needs to get out. And, and they're weighing her they, when she walks into the house. Stones. Like a little I fun tradition. That's you know? a real... You know, and that has, is a real thing. She's got to get out and get McDonald's and drive, drive, drive away from and that haunted house. They, they get KFC. Oh, KFC, sorry. <laughs> and there's that beautiful liberation of that final moment in Spencer that's also so sad, and I think mm-hmm. that moment is sadder than anything the crown did yeah. uh, with the Diana stuff. Yeah, Although, when the soundtrack finally goes like right. from the free jazz to like the 80s pop that she loves. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and then she's she's and driving fast and, yeah. you know, it's it's cool and I, I don't know. I, she's I, driving a convertible on December 26th. <laughs> well, right, right. As we're in England, as we're all want to do. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I think that Maybe I'm too sold on my idea of the royals as being these, you know, absolute horror shows who are completely incapable of expressing human emotion to peep to each other. Maybe the Crown's version is more fair in that regard. It just doesn't really match up with with how I see them, especially mm-hmm. in the light of what we know about Meghan Markle and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Also fair, yeah. Although I, I do think it's interesting that in both Spencer and Diana the Musical, Queen Elizabeth herself is kind of ultimately a sympathetic figure, um, which is not what you would necessarily expect from something that has a critical view of the monarchy. Like, in Spencer, initially, she's, you know, this, like, zombie who, like, doesn't speak and Mm. looks, you know, like, completely inhuman. And then as the movie goes on, she actually, you you know, she comes to—she kind of comes to respect Diana. It's sort of like a— it's like the diner yeah. scene or something. It's like you're not so different, like yeah, you and game I. Like, game. Yeah, now that now that you're like making a move to like yeah. I, I respect your moxie or whatever. Yeah, and maybe there's a little envy in there too. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like I just had to do this and I didn't realize that there was a way that I could because she was an officer. Yeah, an officer, right, right? As we heard time and time again at the end of the right. end the, the, the musical. king died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do we think oh. there's any room? in the coming, let's say, decade for another Diana story. I don't know. It's pretty well It feels well like we're tapped out. Trod. That sounds like there's got to— Ryan Murphy like, hasn't done it yet. That's all I'm saying. Oh, well, now you that can, you spoke that you into can existence. You see why that was the original plan for a season of Feud, though, because, like, yeah. like the OJ story, there is just so much to divine out of Diana. Like, mm-hmm. you can use her 
true life saga to uh, explore any number of topics that we cannot stop talking about. You know, and there's gender and there's wealth and there's power and there's media. Yeah, media. Mm-hmm. There's all of these. And it's actually all the same topics, I guess, which is sort of funny. Yeah, um, right. yeah there's tragedy. <laughs> like. yeah. yeah, no, it is. I mean, it, it, it does make sense that that's what he would gravitate toward. I, I wonder what the thinking was behind that. Maybe it was there's just, just too net. much. I it's think. just it's just yeah, it would I think be, it's like, yeah, like uh, how do you do one season? Yeah, like Jennifer Lawrence said, like she's not going to make her Elizabeth Holmes movie because like right. Amanda Seyfried did it and it was great and, and like we don't have to do it again in it the again. next year. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I would like to not have a lack of imagination and be like, okay, Diana is is over. But it does feel like we could take that lens and put it on some mm-hmm. other people at Sarah this Ferguson point. waits by the phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess you have to get into Prince Andrew, which, I is, know, which is, yeah, which a there's a story yeah. to tell there, though. This is probably sacrilege, but it would be kind of interesting in, let's say, in like 15 years or something, some crazy person is just like, I'm going to make a movie where she's the villain. <laughs> you know, uh, like, let, okay, let, that's, a, that's a different angle of see, attack, you know. Wait, I, if somebody makes Camilla, like Camilla exclamation. Oh, oh my God, Camilla. Go. That's what it is. That's, that's what it is. is. You I make think the Camilla. That's what you've got to do next. Yeah, because yeah, now we've yeah. seen her as, you know, uh, silent villain sort mm-hmm. of in so many different iterations. Well, what's now. weird is that she's like the most sympathetic character oh, in, the in Diana musical. the musical. Yeah, the musical, she's the, well, that's in part because Erin Davy is so she's wonderful. Really she's, she's really, really good. good. She's, like, she has so much emotion. Like, she actually seems like a person. Yeah, she seems, she, she seems like a person. And they do a good job, I mean... Until they put them in a literal boxing ring and they have that <laughs> and they fight it, which, you know, let's let's take that subtext and put it into the mm-hmm. Oh, there's no subtext, stage. baby. But it, again, all of these pieces of media really do paint Camilla and Charles as like really in love and mm-hmm. which seems to be true. And at least in The Crown, the musical, <laughs> The Crown, the musical, wow, <laughs> Diana, the musical, they give Camilla a fair, she's like the third lead. They give her yeah. a lot of space to sort of, yeah. you know, not just be like wicked stepmother who stole Diana's man. And that's the story you haven't heard, <laughs> except many, many times. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, good. I'm glad we had this discussion because, um, you know, we hadn't quite talked enough about Diana. But um, <laughs> uh, no, but as it goes to show, there is still a lot to be said. Yeah, we didn't even touch on Naomi Watts. I know, that's Well, true. I mean, that's well, not worth it. We'd have to watch it. Th- that movie is just plain awful. <laughs> no, and it's not fun like Diana the Musical. No. So we don't. If you're listening to this and you want to be a Diana completist, I cannot recommend you watch Diana. Stop at Diana the Musical. Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Uh, We're going to get back into part two of the final season of The Crown on December 14th. Uh, Until then, you can find me on X ugh, and Instagram at Rylas R-I-L-A-W-S sometimes someday I will stop saying ugh after that and just admit that I, I'm gonna do a super doubt, cut of yeah. your disdain <laughs> yeah. I doubt that you will one day stop doing that um, and you can find me on X and on Instagram at Chris Tress and I really do open any and all comments about Diana the Musical in my DMs so please <laughs> reach out you can find me at Hillabuster with two R's and yeah sure I'd like to talk about Diana the Musical I'm not made of stone <laughs> So this has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias. We had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We will be back with recaps of episodes 5, 6, and 7 of The Crown on December 14th. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.